Good morning, everyone. Uh, yes, we're turning to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Uh, let me just pray before we read. Dear God, we thank you that we can come here on the Sunday morning and um, yeah, spend time with you, spend time in um, prayer and in worship and in reading and understanding your word. We pray that uh, Glenn, we pray for Glenn as he brings your message and we pray for this reading and that we will understand it and um, learn from it. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is titled uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus and here he goes. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up, a, up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received, received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Luke. Good to be with you again this morning. Uh, I forgot to say, I'm heading off for a couple of weeks of holidays, so I'm not going to be around for two weeks. Uh, so Andrew's taking the next couple of services. Uh, it's good. I was saying to Carl, and I was just all a bit emotional during that... Uh, worship bracket and which is I don't know, well led by our youth band that's great and uh, I said to, I don't know whether it's holidays <laughs> that I've got no, it wasn't that it's just the fact I think I was just overcome again by God and his goodness it's a pretty amazing thing the things that we sang about this morning is just amazing blows my mind, <laughs> moves me to tears. But that's the God that we serve is so loving and gracious and merciful and takes people like us and wants to live with us forever. Pretty cool. Um, let's get into this sermon, which is part of a series that we've been working on already uh, for a while. The Master Plan, we've been calling it. Uh, where we're looking at uh, moving people in following Christ uh, and we're looking particularly at the moment how Jesus does discipleship um, and particularly what we can learn from him. As we look at these stories, we're doing a journey through the Gospels, picking out different stories um, uh, uh, about uh, the way Jesus does discipleship. So last week we uh, used the Great Commission. Um, I said we we're going to use the Great Commission as a bit of a framework to look at how Jesus does this making disciples. And I think I, I pointed out there that the, uh, the key point of, of, of this passage is the making disciples. Um, 
not so much the emphasis on the go. And then uh, Andrew and I had this conversation this week, and Andrew's like, what? <laughs> no, we just had a good conversation. I just don't want to underplay that we still have to go. We are still sent. We are still sent ones to go. But the emphasis is not just on the going, it's on the making disciples in that going. That whole idea of to be missionaries, uh, to be on mission, is to be sent. Jesus still sends us and, makes it a, and, and wants us to go. But the emphasis is on what we're doing in that going. Um, showing Jesus, helping others follow Jesus uh, in that. So keep that in mind. Uh, so as you go, uh, are you making disciples? That's the question. As you go through your life, as things come across your path, uh, how are you following Jesus? That's what a disciple is, a follower or a learner of Jesus. And how are you helping others? Uh, follow Jesus uh, in your life. So uh, as you go, uh, we're going to divide this little bit up into six parts. So last week we um, took uh, about priorities and setting priorities. This week we're going to focus on uh, taking up opportunities and we're going to look at, as you go, making plans. Andrew's going to deal with those and eating and drinking and success and failures uh, as we go and how Jesus uses all of those situations uh, to disciple his disciples and to show us uh, how to uh, make other disciples as well. So last week, the priorities thing, uh, where we looked at Mary and Martha, we talked about Jesus, uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, uh, seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, and that Martha was distracted by the many things. We uh, questioned our own busy lives, and are our busy lives distracting us from the one thing? that Jesus calls us to do. Is to, uh, he showed and modelled that, didn't he? That his father was number one. Uh, and he said, just as I love the father, I want you to love me that way as well. And so the question is, how'd you go this week? At setting at Jesus number one. I put some stuff on, one of the, on the discussion page. If you want to sign up on Facebook, there's a discussion page, a One Hope discussion page. And we got a few people on that that you want to... And I, one of the things that I found really helpful to do this, that really focuses me on Jesus, is solitude. The idea of getting alone, getting out of routine, getting alone with Jesus and just having conversation with him uh, and interacting with him. I threw it out there and different people came back with different ways that they did that. Some people did it in their car. Some people made sure that they got places early so there was a little bit of space etched out for them to connect with Jesus. Other people did it through music um, or whatever it might be. Our showers. I talked to a few people that connect with Jesus in the shower this week. It's an, a place of solitude and just a place of prayer. Where are you connecting with Jesus? How are you setting him, number one, as you go through life? And so this week we're going to talk about setting priorities and this whole idea, oh sorry, the, the idea of setting priorities leads us to opportunities. And that's sort of, as we're going to unpack the Zacchaeus uh, story, this idea that when we set Christ as, uh, as number one and as we interact with him and we want to learn from him and follow him, it leads us uh, to opportunities. We think of uh, the two great command, or when Jesus was asked about what's the greatest commandment, so remember, one of the Pharisees asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's really a priorities question, isn't it? What's the priorities? And what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so last week was loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This week, we're going to look at loving your neighbor as yourself. 
and setting that uh, as a priority as we um, move in following Christ. And at the same time, recognising that just as much as our busyness can rob us of that connection with God, that busyness, our busyness, can rob us of that priority of setting God one, it can just as well rob us of opportunities that God puts us in our path, other people that God puts in our path, and that our schedules and our busyness rob us of those opportunities that God wants us to interact with. And so have a bit of a think about that as we uh, go through. And so uh, as we uh, start this and explore this a little bit, have you been in one of those situations where you knew you should have done something to help, but you had to get to the next thing? that you were too busy to stop and help out. And there's, in that situation, there's probably different reasons why that happened. It, it might not be that you didn't care. Probably the fact that you noticed that help needed to happen is probably a, a sign that you cared. You cared about that situation. You actually had empathy for that situation, for that person but you had something on your schedule that was more important that you had to get to. You see, it's a priorities issue, isn't it? Some of those things are legit. <laughs> we do have things that we do need to get to, and we can't help in every situation. And as I've been wrestling about that and thinking about that this week, I was thinking... What works in my heart, what moves and stirs in my heart, or what, what would make me change my schedule for that situation? And why do I or don't I change my schedule to help in that situation? That's the question I want us to ask you. And sometimes we're going to have legitimate reasons why I can't. But other times, I question whether it's a response of fear or selfishness that stops us interacting with that opportunity that God's put before us. That following Jesus and loving my neighbour as myself can drastically mess up my day. I, I want you to ask the question, next time that that happens. Next time you find yourself in that situation where it's like, I should do something here, but I've got to get to that. I want you to ask this question. What could possibly happen if I change my schedule? What could possibly happen if I change my schedule? And as I've been wrestling with this, I think it's a priorities and wisdom thing. And this is where we're going to, and in that situation, asking God, asking his spirit to help me make the right priorities, wisdom, decision. Because some of it might mean, well, I've got to get my kids to the doctor, then that's a specialist appointment that's been there for three months or something like that. I have to get them there. But it was like, and I, th I thought to myself, what, what would it take to ch for me to change my schedule? And I think what I do sometimes, and I think this is the trap of busyness, is that we put the busyness in the schedule, we make that the priority, 
um, rather than the power of God that actually can make me change that. We don't question whether I can change that, that schedule or not. And so that becomes the priority when we actually realise, actually, God, you can help me. So I can actually make the call and change my schedule. So I want us to think about that. Because as we look at Jesus, as we look at the master at work in this passage that Luke read, that this is what happens, isn't it? So did you notice the first verse um, when he comes uh, into, into town? It says, Jesus was passing through. He wasn't intending to stay in Jericho. He was, he was heading off to Jerusalem. Jer- Jericho is on the way to Jerusalem. He was heading off there. And so as we interact, interact with this story, this is the story of Zacchaeus, and many of us know the story, don't we? Small man climbs up a tree, Jesus goes and eats his house, and seems his life's transformed. Uh, but I want us to ask the question, and, and as we go through this today, just to ask this question, what's that all about? Don't just say, I know this story, I know sort of how it works. I want you to be asking the question as we go through this, what's it all about? Why did Luke record this passage? Why is it in the Bible? What does Jesus want us to hear or to see or to interact with because of this story? And I think this is, uh, I keep encouraging you to do this and pastors encourage people to do this all the time, particularly in the Gospels, is to put yourself in the story. And it's the beauty of, of these stories is that you can put yourself into all different characters in this story. You can put yourself into the position of Zacchaeus. You can put yourself into the position of Jesus. You can put yourself into the position of the crowds. You can put yourself into the position of the disciples. You can put yourself into the position of Zacchaeus' family and what that would have been like. And so as you do that, I'm going to encourage you to engage with the story and put yourself into that and see what God's saying to you as you put yourself in these situations. And I think what... I want you to do as we engage with this story, and I, I just sort of put myself a warning, this is a warning for me and a warning for you, that, that in this, that we don't over-spiritualize Jesus. Because I think this is what we sometimes do. We read this story and we think, oh yeah, that, that's just Jesus. And he could do that. And so we just fob off the story, thinking I could never do that. And I want us to sort of just humanize uh, Jesus a bit. And I, uh, unfortunately, these are bad pictures of Jesus. That he's the white man with the beautiful, I don't know why, you can't quite see it. (laughs) Why has Jesus got the uh, shampooed, conditioned hair? And all these other disciples, if you look at all the disciples, they're all rough and ready. And (laughs) and there's this glowing Jesus in white, a white robe. I don't think Jesus wore a white robe. And I don't think he had uh, shampooed and conditioned hair. Because that's what we tend to do with these stories. We say, oh, that's Jesus, and he just sort of did that, and it's a story. That we think that Jesus had this sort of supernatural, and he's walking under the tree, and all of a sudden he had this, I was thinking a little bit like Aquaman. If you can remember Aquaman, he used to have those circles that would go out, and he'd be able to read them that Jesus came under there and all of a sudden he had this supernatural read the mind of people. And we we think he has some sort of spooky powers. He may well have already known Zacchaeus. 
because he's probably come through this town many times on his way to Jerusalem. It's quite possibly actually knew him. And you know when we read those lines that Jesus knew what they were thinking? Well, you know that too, don't you? You can look at people and you, you know what they're thinking. You read their body language, you read, you know, you can get a bit of a vibe for what's happening. And I think Jesus is saying, we're human, so Jesus was human, so I think he interacted with people uh, that way as well. We do know, and that's not to rule out, that Jesus did at times have supernatural insight. So the woman at the well, he all of a sudden knew of, well, it seems that he all of a sudden knew of her, her situation. It might have been the case there too. And I do think that God does that. God still works supernaturally and real, reveals things supernaturally. But he also works very naturally. And so you have the power to read people's minds if you just pay attention, if you just empathise and understand and put yourself into their shoes. And then with the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a supernatural activity that can happen in that situation. Remember, because Jesus promised that to you. He said, when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And remember what Andrew always says, you have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you to be able to do this, to interact with people this way, to love your neighbour as yourself. And he says, you remember that? He even says to his disciples, you'll do greater things than this. And so as we step bit by bit through this passage, uh, I want us to see what God's going to say to us. This is a bit, a bit of a Mark Driscoll type sermon. If I think I'm still allowed to mention his name. He's a good preacher. Um, but he does this. He just, he's, we're just going to go sort of almost line by line through, through the passage. So here we go. We're going to start off. The first one is uh, Jesus was passing through. Just remember that. I sort of already alluded to it earlier. That Jesus, this was, he was not, his plan was not to stay. Uh, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And, and this particularly, if you have a look, it was the last time that he was doing this. Because the end of the passage, what's happening at the end of this chapter of Luke, is it's the triumphant entrance. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the last time. Not long after this, he's crucified. And, and so, so it's probably his last time through. So he probably had a fairly important schedule to get into Jerusalem. Uh, the Passover was coming up, so he had to make, you know, him and his disciples had to be getting ready for the Passover and things were happening. He had to get to the temple and do the teaching at the temple. So don't think that Jesus uh, didn't have a schedule or a plan. He was working that. His plan was to pass through. We're told that. But yet there's a priority that stops his ministry, that changes his schedule. And that priority is a guy in a tree <laughs> that's seeking him. Jesus' plans get distracted by his priorities. I just wondered whether he would you know, sort of ring in and say, actually, I'm going to be a couple of days late because he might have stayed here a couple of days. I'm not going to make it to Jerusalem at that time. Can you just cancel that appointment? We need to reschedule. Does he talk to his father and say, Father, I'm not going to arrive there then because <laughs> I've got something else that I've got to do. There's a person that needs me at this time. Did it ruin his day? Because <laughs> he, he had to stop and he ate and he went to the guy's house. It was a whole bay and this, possibly he stayed overnight there as well maybe. We're not quite sure on that. So here's the question. Does your schedule 
allow for unexpected encounters? Does your schedule allow for unexpected encounters? That you, I just want you to hear this clearly. It's possible to change your schedule. It's possible to cancel things. It's possible to create space on your cal calendar for God to do things. Um, there was a guy yesterday I met with at our um, classes meeting and he was saying, in my, in my calendar, in my planning, I, plan, uh, I have a place for spontaneity. He said, in my calendar I'm planning, I plan these places and it's just called... And so he doesn't know what he's going to do during those spaces. And during his week, he has a couple of spaces that he doesn't know what he's going to do. And then he gets to that space and he just does something spontaneous. He asks God. Sometimes it's with his family. Sometimes it's just someone he might want to catch up with. Sometimes it's he just goes for a walk and see what God does. I thought it's a cool idea. To plan for spontaneity. To plan Put into your place spaces for things that God might do, people he might be putting in our path. And so as we think about this now, um, I want you to ask this question. Who do you need to make room for this week? So I'm, I'm getting it specific to people. So just have a think now. Who do you need to make room for for people? So there's people that are in need and help that we know in our lives already. They need help now. Who are they? Who, who's God asking you and calling you to create space for this week? And so as we uh, go on, Zacchaeus, just remember this, Zacchaeus is a rich outcast. <laughs> this idea that rich people are lost as well. It's not just the poor and the broken. Even though God does put priority on the poor and the broken, and the, uh, but he also realises that there's rich outcasts, rich well-educated outcasts. Who are the lost people in your life that are like that as well? And it's actually a contrast. Uh, Luke does this intentionally. It's a contrast to the previous chapter because that's the, the story of the rich young ruler. So that's what we often think, isn't it? All the rich young rulers, they just walk off from God. Well, here's a rich young ruler. Oh, he's probably a rich old ruler. And he pursues Jesus. And I, ac I actually miss, miss this off the list, and we were praying this morning. I don't know who it was. It was either, Luke, uh, it was either Nick or Tom. Someone prayed, um, and they were praying about um, Zacchaeus climbing the tree. And I thought, yeah, I, I missed this off my list, so i actually written it down. Because here's the thing. Um, and, uh, that w remember putting ourselves in, into the story? Let's just put ourselves into Zacchaeus' position at the moment. Are you passionately pursuing Jesus to climb a tree and to want to you know, almost make a fool of yourself to pursue Jesus, to get to know him, to meet him, to see him. And, you know, later on it goes, and, and received him joyfully. Are you pursuing, looking for, finding Jesus and receiving him joyfully? That's the call in this story too, isn't it? Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me. You might be, and remember that Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus was an outcast, he was, not, he was seen as a traitor and was excluded from the temple and excluded from Jewish society because he was a Roman tax collector. He was collecting taxes for the Romans. So he was an outcast. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm going to go and eat with you. <laughs> we'll go to the next slide. Just as we keep working through... Uh, there's a little bit in the passage, and um, most commentaries pick this out. Um, when Jesus reached the spot, 
or I think in the ESV it says that place. And he could have just said, oh, as Jesus was passing under the tree, or Jesus went past that place, but it's specifically written as the place. And I just wanted to remind, and and commentators point out, it's a divine appointment. God has orchestrated this. And it's this place, and I think that many of these encounters that we have with people, interactions that we have with people, people that we see in need or in uh, need of our help, are divine appointments. God has orchestrated for us to see them. God has orchestrated for us to be walking past there at that time. And so we need to respond at that spot. So keep your eyes peeled for those spots. What's God up to? Because we remember in this, and, and I, it, this is the beauty of the gospel. Remember this, this verse from Ephesians 2, I think it is. Uh, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So this, we're not going and doing this so that we please God and God's all happy with us and now he's saying, no, we do this because God has a plan for us and he's orchestrated spots. He's orchestrated people for us to interact with. John Ortberg, in uh, his book, uh, I've forgotten the name of the book, one of John Ortberg's books, he says this, much of the adventure of Christian living involves responsiveness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals these spots to us. And so as we go this week, can you be asking the Holy Spirit to help you see the spots? to help you see the people, help you to have empathy for the people, help you to um, engage with those people. So right now, just ask you this question, because some of these are just sort of spontaneous, spontaneous, but we have lots of people in our lives at the moment. I just want you to ask this question. Think about people here. Um, where are the spots in your life at the moment? Who are they? Just have a look. Just now in your life, just have a look. Who are the sp- where are the spots? Who are the people that the Holy Spirit might be asking you to engage with this week? And as we go on, Zacchaeus, he says, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down, I must stay at your house. Uh, what does he say? He says, come down immediately, I must stay at, you today, at your house today. And in this, there's a sense of urgency. And the gospel does this, and I wrestle with this one. I wrestle with this one. There's a gospel urgency about um, don't leave it too late. And I, I think for me, this is where I go with it. The gospel, the idea of presenting the gospel, the idea of talking about Jesus and who he is to the people he puts in our path is a priority, but it needs to be a priority that's about the person, not about us. Because I think, and this is the, the urgency thing I wrestle with, sometimes I just want to rush in and just ram it down their throat and they've got to hear now and they have to do this now and, and yet I'm not loving them because it's more about me and getting my job done. And it's, I, I'm not sure, what do you, ha, how long do you wait? How long do you get to know someone? How long do you know this before you start talking about Jesus? And I think one of the things that I'm doing at the moment as I'm reading uh, some of the Jeff Vanderstelt stuff, he's really helpful with this. He talks about gospel fluency. And it's the idea of being able to speak about the gospel naturally in everyday situations. 
and I'm practicing that more and more. How can I naturally talk about the things that I'm doing from my Christian perspective and how Jesus interacts with them? And the more I'm doing that, the more I'm finding actually I can communicate the gospel fairly naturally with people. And it's not me ticking off the box, but it's an actually an expression of who I am as a follower of Jesus. So I think we, I, I'm asking God, help me to know the urgency of this and help me know how to express this uh, in the way that you ask. Because you know, I'm confronted with people who could die and yet I haven't spoken to them about the gospel. And so there is an urgency there. And I think Jesus is pointing that out. There's an urgency in these spots. React immediately, today. Engage with it and see what he does. I like Jesus' idea of reverse hospitality here. You see, I'm going to come to your house and we're going to eat together rather than inviting people to his... Well, he didn't have a house, that's why. Um, but I, I, I want us to think on this bit here. Whose lives are you stepping into? Whose lives are you stepping into? Whose houses are you going into? Who's, uh, how are you engaging with the people that, that God's putting in your life? And I think this is, for me, the call here is to step into people's lives to get to know them. And I think what we're finding with a lot of people in our work situations, our family situations, our life situations, these are long-term relationships that are built up maybe over years. But keep stepping into people's lives to get to know them, understand them and uh, live this out. If we move on to the next one, all uh, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's a guest of sinners. And remember I talk to yourself, put yourself in in all the places here. So we, can put our, we put ourselves into Zacchaeus' position. We're traitors of God. We've turned our backs on him. All of us know what it is to be rebels against Jesus. And Jesus comes and be a, a guest with us. We've been the Zacchaeuses, haven't we? And that should make us think differently when we're standing in the crowd. That should make us very think very differently when we're standing in the crowd. That there's not an us and them mentality. In church, I want to warn us of the us and them mentality. I hear it in my own life. I hear it in your words. When we talk around church, I hear an us and them mentality. I hear it when I go on a trip to Uganda and the teens and people, there's an us and their mentality where the well-educated, rich, got-it-all-together white people and they're the poor black people. Jesus says, watch that. I hear it, people. I hear it from you. I heard it myself in Cavell Kitchen. We're the got-it-together Christians that are putting this on as a service for them. I wish they would get their stuff together. I don't hear you say that. (laughs) I'm just saying. But we do, guys. We've got to watch the us and them mentality because you know what it does? It divides. It creates barriers. And then you can't interact in those spots because then you're the grumbling crowd. Preach it to myself as well. The gospel humbles us. It humbles us because we know that we're, we're the Zacchaeuses. It levels the playing field. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's no lording it over in the gospel. 
I'm just as much as a recipient of God's grace as anyone that I come into contact with. But here's the question. Has your reputation been tainted by who you hang out with? Has your reputation been tainted by who you hang out with? Do people say of you, why are, you hang- why are they hanging out with them? Why would they hang out with someone like that? Made me think. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, Zacchaeus, where are we? Uh, go to the next one. Uh, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord. It's a pretty important part, isn't it? So now he's, where does he stand up from? He stand up from the table. They're actually at his place eating together having a meal together, and Jesus does much of his ministry over the dinner table. Andrew's going to preach about that in a few weeks. Guys, who are you eating and drinking with? Keep that in your... Over the dinner table, Jesus somehow gets to present him the gospel. And what's Zacchaeus's response? He gets up, remember what we started early on in the year? Jesus is Lord. That's what he says. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the Son of God that's come from... You are the Messiah. Because remember, Zacchaeus is a Jew... So he understands sort of the, the, the Messiah, and it's a statement of faith. And what does he say? He says, now I am yours. You own me. That's what a Lord is. You own me. I am yours. What do you want from me? What's your plan for me? What are your priorities for me? It's a change of priorities, isn't it? That Jesus is now Lord of his life, not money, not social status. And what does that happen straight away? The payback four times. The payback four times, he, he repays everyone. He, rest, he brings restitution uh, to people. It's, it's an example of a, rest, of, a, of a totally transformed life. And what he's actually doing there is actually obeying the law. So the law in, back in Leviticus actually says if you steal something, you have to pay them back four times. And he knows his law. He's a Jewish person that's been brought up in the law. And so he then says, I'll do the law. Now, this is really important. This is I, what I say to everyone when we talk about Christianity. It's what different, differs Christianity from all other religions. In Christianity, salvation comes before obedience. In all other religions, obedience comes first before you can get salvation. It's the difference, okay? <laughs> so you notice what happens here. First, he says, Jesus is Lord, and then act as an act of worship, he obeys. As an act of thanks, as an act of a response of his salvation. So he's not working for his salvation. He's not, Jesus is not any more happy with him now because he's doing this. This is just a response of worship. So in this situation, as Jesus becomes Lord, there is a change of priorities that empower us to obey with joy and worship. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we can proclaim the gospel. That's why we get rid of the us and them stuff. And then as we uh, get to the end and say, what does Jesus do? He stands up and he says, today salvation has come to this house. And what is he actually doing? What's that that mean? He's actually praising God. He's worshipping. 
So Jesus is worshipping it. So when salvation comes, when transforms lives come, there is worship and praise and response. Today, God has done his work. It's a statement and it's also a statement a little bit about who Jesus is because remember in the Old Testament, there was this whole idea that the Messiah was going to come to the house of Israel. Well, today it has and it's a statement about who I am. I am the Son of God who has come so that salvation may be brought. The Messiah has come, the King has come, so that anyone can come to me, anyone can join my family, anyone can live with me. And what does he do straight after that? Then he restores Zacchaeus to who he is because he says, this man too is a son of Abraham, he's a son of mine, he's, a son, he's, a, he's part of the kingdom. And he restores people to their right place. Just remember how we sang, and I was moved by this idea that God, the creator of the universe, is my dad. And he's a good, good father. And remember the, the, the rest of that chorus, it says, and then I'm loved by him. That's who I am. That's what happens here. This man who was once lost is now found. He was a traitor. He was the worst of sinners. Put yourself in that situation, but then also think about the worst of sinners. Think about the rich, obnoxious people in your life. Think about the bullies at school. Think about the outcasts that you can't stand to be near. And Jesus says, I've come for them. Think about the Muslims. Think about the terrorists. Jesus has come for them. I, want you to, I read something, I read a tweet this morning, I just had to include it. Do you know where the church is growing the fastest in the world at the moment? It's in the Muslim world. The church is growing fastest in countries like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. There are thousands and thousands of Zacchaeuses turning to Jesus in these places. I say, guess what? God's bringing the Muslims to us. They need to hear about Jesus just as much as anyone else. God's bringing the gay people to us. They need to know about Jesus and be loved by him as well. No one is outside of this encounter with Jesus. And so we put ourselves into Jesus' position and in those spots... How are we loving? How are we engaging? How are we bringing the truth? How are we bringing the gospel? And then the last line is a reminder, people. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. There's a priority for you. Jesus was sent to the lost. I'll stick my hand up and say I was the worst of sinners. 
came to me and <laughs> just transformed my life. Turned it upside down. Given me a new identity. Done things that I just blown my mind. And he says, I've come for those lost people that I'm placing in your life. I've created all those spots. He said, I want you to love your neighbour as yourself. And remember who Jesus pointed out, who, his, who our neighbours were. And that, you know, the Good Samaritan, the point in that is that the neighbour was the enemy, the most hated person. The people we don't get on with, the people that we disagree with, we don't think the same with. He says, that's the people I want you to love. That's the people I want you to engage with the gospel. And then as we think about that, we remember that God has empowered us to do it. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us the power of his spirit. Remember even that promise of words that you even don't even know that you're going to have to speak? I'll give them to you. But I just want you to speak. I want you to show love. I want you to arrange your life to have these priorities. I want you to be in touch with my spirit. Keep in step with me. I want you to change your schedule. I want you to be looking for the people I'm putting in your path, both long-term and short-term. Because my kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, and I've chosen you to do it. Let's pray. Lord and God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this story of Zacchaeus. We thank you that it speaks to us powerfully. We thank you for your spirit that is alive and well in your word. And Lord, as we're both um, confronted and encouraged through this word this morning, we ask for your spirit to stir in us, move in us, empower us, embolden us to love our neighbour as ourselves. To set our priorities as you have set them to help others encounter Jesus, to help others follow Jesus. <laughs> Lord, use us, the Zacchaeuses of this world, that you have come to save, that you have come to show the way. Lord, use us as weak and broken vessels. Use us that our lives are so messed up and our schedules are so oriented by this world and ourselves. Lord, use us for the glory of your name. Use us to bring your kingdom on earth. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, glory would go to your name. Worship and praise would raise up as the lost are found, as the blind see, as the people see that you are God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand and worship this great and mighty God who saved us.